Now, can you turn back with me this morning to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. This is the last of four uh, in our morning worship on uh, our vision and strategy as a church, uh, the glory of God, the gospel of God, the grace of God, and now the growth that comes from God. I guess we could look at it that way. And what uh, I'm hoping is that we can kind of memorize these things just to help us, remind us of you know, why we exist and, and the reason that we're doing what we do. And these things that we've looked at are principles for uh, the Christian church. It's not formula. So we're not saying, you know, if you, you tick these boxes and you do these things, then hey presto, you'll have a great church and things will be fantastic. We're not saying that at all. Uh, it's not a kind of formulaic way of looking at our Christian lives. It's simply some kind of basic principles uh, that uh, remind us uh, of, uh, and I hope will focus and challenge us and turn us towards the Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, they're kind of family traits. That's what we're looking at at them as. They're family traits of belonging to the kingdom of God, the family of God. And I hope that as we embed them in our thinking, hey, you go along to St. Columbus, what do they do there? And you think of glory, gospel, grace, and growth. And uh, that will sometimes help us in our own Christian lives and in our communities to think about who we are. And they will hopefully always... encourages and point us towards the Lord Jesus Christ and different aspects of that as a family. And we see that as a congregation, that that's what we're trying to be, a family of God's people together. Now, because of that, we're going to fail and we're going to struggle and we're going to fall and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to act with ungrace, okay? It's a made-up word for the day. Ungrace. We're going to act in a way that's not particularly graceful sometimes. Um, But the important thing is that as we do and as we serve and as we follow and as we work, that we will put into practice the principles of the glory of God and the growth of the gospel and the gospel itself and grace as we work together and fix our eyes on Jesus. So just want to highlight one or two um, points from the parable. It's very well known. I'm not going to go into detail about the parable. I imagine everyone here... Uh, maybe not everyone, if you're here for church for the first time, maybe you've never read the parable of the sower. Um, but if you haven't, then I would encourage you to read a little bit more about it and talk to me afterwards. But many people here will know the parable of the sower. Um, but it's in three of the Gospels, it's a very well-known parable. So I'm not going to go into the parable in details. I'm going to pick out one or two things from the parable, and then I'm going to try and explain why growth and fruitfulness is important for us as a kind of basic principle for our church and for the life of our church and the structures of our church. So if you look at God's parables or Jesus' parables, they nearly always just have one major theme. There's one major thing in each of them. It's not a multiplicity of lessons. So there's one really important lesson probably in most of the parables and maybe some sub-lessons we can take also from them. And I guess the key theme If you were to write down what the key theme of the parable of the sower would be, I wonder what you would write. Fruitfulness, probably, is the main point of the parable of the sower. It's about bearing fruit as a Christian. It's about growing as a Christian. Uh, That's probably the main point of the parable. But there's uh, sub-points within the parable of the sower, like um, there's a lot of unseen hard work goes uh, on behind the scenes before there's growth. 
There's a lot of plowing that goes on. There's a lot of weeding that goes on. There's a lot of removing of stones that goes on before there's uh, seed sown. So there's this kind of maybe uh, sub-point of unseen hard work. There's maybe also a sub-point of the inauspicious um, seed. That the seed's nothing very dramatic. It's nothing very uh, uh, attractive. You know, when you see seed in your hands, it's pretty dull and ordinary and looks a bit dead and light. And yet from this kind of rather inauspicious um, beginnings, it bears wonderful uh, and beautiful and useful uh, and uh, uh, nourishing fruit. So you've got the kind of that part of the parable as well. And the beauty of what is produced, uh, the fruitfulness, the, uh, the loveliness, the sweetness, uh, the nourishment that, that is produced. So the, I think fruitfulness is, if you're looking at a main kind of um, um, spine that runs through the parable, it will be fruitfulness. And uh, other things kind of come from that. So if we take that parable, which is a story about planting and sowing seed, and about where that seed goes and what happens to that seed and, and the main reason for that seed being planted. If we take that and apply it to the Christian life, which is what Jesus does, you see. Jesus tells a story and then the disciples ask what it means and he then explains to them what it means. And he says the seed is the word and the uh, different kind of soils are the different kind of people and the, the, the responsiveness to the gospel. And some of them get choked up and some of them, uh, the word gets snatched away. And then for, for most of the seed, the seed falls on good soil and it bears fruit. So that's the kind of picture. So it's about spiritual fruitfulness and growing. What then would be some of the lessons we, we learn from that parable, just very briefly, um, by way of kind of starting and uh, introductions to this uh, uh, sermon. Well, it's important, isn't it? In terms of if we're going to grow as Christians, if we're going to develop our Christian lives, then there's a lot of heart preparation to be done. Because the seed in the parable uh, is blessed and is fruitful in a plowed field, in a field that has been worked, in a field that is receptive to receiving the seed that's been the stones and the weeds and all that stuff has been taken from it. So there's, it's, it's good for the seed. It's a, the seed can grow in this prepared uh, field. And so uh, the application is that our hearts as Christians, if we are to be blessed and to be fruitful and to be growing Christians, then there's heart preparation to be done, that we need to be relying on God and uh, aware of the spiritual work, having become Christians by his grace, having been offered salvation through Christ and received this a wonderful gift of grace and salvation. In order to grow and be fruitful, we need to be aware of our own hearts and aware of the, some of the things that, that stop us growing and stop us being fruitful as Christians. And the parable speaks about them, doesn't it? There's the world and all its attractions. Uh, and, you know, in verse... Well, 15, some of the people, um, verse 16, sown in rocky places, they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but since it has no root, last is trouble, persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. Or others, seed sown among thorns, they hear the word, the worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, desire for other things come in and choke it. Or on the hard ground, Satan comes and takes it away. So there's, three, there's different kind of um, enemies, as it were, that come and take away the fruitfulness and the usefulness of the word. And we need to be aware that that's a heart problem for us. That sometimes we're in a spiritual battle. So when we're in church 
or when we're opening the Word, or when we're speaking to God, or when we're in prayer with God, there's a spiritual battle going on that Satan wants to take away any kind of interest we have in the gospel, and he'll snatch away the Word quickly if our hearts aren't prepared for that. And then we know our own hearts are attracted with sinful desires which choke his Word. And we know the world outside has lots of things that attract us and also will oppose us and mock us and laugh us and persecute us for being Christians. And all of these things stop us from being fruitful Christians, stop us from growing as Christians so that we recognize heart preparation is important. We recognize that growth takes hard work and patience. You know, the farmer doesn't just come out and sow the seed. There's a great deal of unseen hard labor in order for his seed to bear fruit and to produce grain. And the same is true both spiritually for our own lives as Christians to grow, but also as a church to grow or for us to see conversions and other people coming to faith. Evangelism, in other words, what Adam's involved in in the CU and what we're all involved in in our lives, evangelism and our personal faith involves hard effort and hard work. It involves getting to know people and breaking down the barriers that stop them from listening to the gospel. It means getting their trust and their love and into their hearts. It involves just uh, time and energy and prayer and effort. It involves our hearts and our souls if we are to see fruitfulness and growth. So we learn that it takes heart preparation and hard work to grow as Christians and to grow as a church and to see conversions. We also reckon, I think, and see from the parable that much of the growth of the gospel and the work of the kingdom is counterintuitive. That's what I said at the beginning. It doesn't look like much. The seed doesn't look like much. It doesn't look like it's going to be very productive. It's dry and it's kind of lifeless. And it doesn't seem that a great deal of blessing or fruitfulness or apples or oranges or bananas or anything nice and healthy is going to come from this seed. I don't know much about these things. But they all start as seed somewhere. So it's counterintuitive. You know, the sowing of the seed... It seems repetitive. Have you ever seen in, these, in, in the farms in Scotland, maybe you're driving up the A9 or in Perthshire and in, in Fife, and you see these massive big fields, and you see, it's not like biblical times, obviously, but it's modern application of that. You see all these massive, massive big tractors, and they're plowing up and down, and the guy's got to go in a straight line, and he's got to turn and come back, and turn and go up, and turn and go down. It's kind of repetitive and dull. There's nothing very exciting about it. You know, he doesn't stop every so often and get on top of the tractor and dance and uh, hope that that will make things better. And he doesn't go in circles and create beautiful pictures. He just goes up and down and it happens all day. It's kind of uh, repetitive as it would have been in Jesus' time. Just taking the bag, throwing out the seed, not seeing anything happen as a result. And it's counterintuitive. Yet there's this fantastic and immeasurable return from doing that. So that months later you see tremendous fruit and tremendous growth and tremendous uh, nourishment coming from what has been done. Now the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life don't seem that attractive. Being obedient, reading the word, praying, being obedient, reading the word, 
praying. Nothing very dramatic, nothing new, nothing that seems to be producing anything. Well, I've prayed, I've read the Word, I'm trying to obey Christ, but nothing seems to be happening. Doesn't seem to be a great deal of fruit, nothing miraculous. Why can't it be more exciting? Why can't it be more stunning? Because very often uh, the fruitfulness comes from the preparation and the hard work of the spiritual disciplines of loving God. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And serving him and following him. The cross in itself is counterintuitive. The world looks on and says, you're a bunch of nutters because you're following this guy who died on a cross. Jesus is weak and meaningless and powerful, powerless. The church is a waste of time. Uh, Why are you involved in these things? And yet it is as we focus on Jesus Christ and on the gospel of grace and on the simplicity of salvation, we will find uh, transformation. Maybe today you feel your life is a little bit like you're just plowing all the time, sowing seed, nothing much exciting happening. Can I tell you, it's counterintuitive. You will be blessed and God will honor that. And the last thing I want to say in terms of the parable is, uh, that directly in terms of the parable is that fruitfulness, I think, is normal. You know, maybe we spend a lot of time looking at a parable like this and thinking, oh, they're going to all the, the, the paths and the hard ground and, and all the weeds and the choking and all of that. But if you look at any field, if you look at any uh, illustration that Jesus would have been using, the vast amount of the field would have been plowed. Yes, there would have been paths where the ground was hard. Yes, there would have been edges where, the, where it was choked and, and where there was weeds. Um, but generally speaking, the, the fruitfulness is normal. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here. He's saying that growth in grace, the beauty of Christ, uh, the fruitfulness of the gospel is normal for Christians to uh, experience and to enjoy, um, to be Christ-like, to be attractive spiritually, to be nourishing for other people, to be multiplying the seed of the word as it goes from your life and the fruitfulness of your life and is multiplied into other people's lives. Maturing, seeing other people coming to faith. I think that's all normal for the Christian. Uh, Growth and grace, maturity and growth in the church. I think that's normal for the church today. I think that is where we should be, and that's what we should be looking for. It's not extraordinary. I'm not talking about revival. I'm just talking about ordinary growth that is fruitful and is God-glorifying. What then, as we move on, what then is the role of this church uh, in terms of this principle of growing as Christians and growing as a people of God? And why is it important to us? Well, can I say that we are uh, striving to provide the right environment as a church for growth? Uh, um, If you're visiting with us today, I'm sorry that I'm being so specific, but I hope that what I'm saying here probably will apply to every church and and should apply because it comes under uh, the teaching of God's Word is... Really, we want to provide the right environment for growth. In other words, again, that we are a people who, as as a people, expect development and expect growth in our Christian lives and in the number of people that we have. We're expecting to become a holier people. Holier, sorry, holier people, not holier people. Uh, I just added the R because I'd left out. Uh, That we're moving on to maturity that that's what we're trying to do, and that's what we are aiming to be, that we are a people who uh, 
enjoy, should enjoy the energy of change and not be content with stagnancy. Now, I know things, uh, sometimes it depends what we equate with stagnancy and growth and things. But spiritually speaking, we're not content with being a church where we uh, are happy to be stagnant in our Christian lives so that we, um, we're never self-examining, we're never thinking about our growth, we're never thinking about whether developing. These are challenges you will find, and the environment is here. I'll come back to that a little bit. But as a, as a leadership and as a, as a movement of people together, um, we are uh, seeking to help to equip Christians to grow. That's, you know, one of the major principles of the church, that we focus on what will help us to grow as Christians. In other words, by our teaching and by example. So that the teaching of God's Word and the foundation of God's Word, which is the seed is hugely important in this church. So you'll not find at any point, however many people give a pressure uh, and democratically want us to change, we'll not change that. We will keep the centrality of the word uh, in our preaching, in our teaching, in our worship, in our city groups, in our mentoring, in all that we do. We will keep this place in the middle because it's important. The preaching of the word uh, and the teaching of the word is central to what we do. We recognize that that reflects Christ and that reflects the uh, whole point of the church. If you look up with me, I've got a couple of verses just to look up. In Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and verse 15, uh, Paul says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up, grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So we'll, we'll focus on the word which focuses on Jesus and we will we'll seek to grow up into him. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, it's a challenge to you to look up all these as quick as I do. 1 Timothy 3 verse 15, we have the words, um, if I'm delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So the church is equated with being foundational, being a pillar of uh, the gospel. And uh, we will always seek to be a, a, a church that meets around God's word and that uh, focuses on the importance of God's word. And part of that then will be how you come, for example, to church on a Sunday morning in terms of your heart. Because you have to do as much work as, well, maybe, yeah, you do have as much work as I have to do in preparing a sermon. I have to prepare a sermon spiritually, prayerfully, and with time. You have to prepare your hearts as well. It's a contract that we're entered into here. You can't just fall out your bed and come along to church and expect to grow and be blessed. Because our heart needs to be prepared to receive the seed to receive the word. So you have to work just as a... Now, you may think this church is very passive and there's only one bloke up the front rabbiting on all the time, but it's not that. Spiritually, you're all active. You're all being prepared. You're all come ready to receive what God has to say through his word. So although you're sitting in seats looking passive, you're just a bundle of energy there, spiritually just feeding on the word and soaking up because you've prepared your hearts and you've prayed over it and you've thought, Lord, teach me today. Speak to me. Challenge my heart. Change me. Because I need to do that. You need to do that as well as the centrality of the word is so important. 
And within that, as a church, we will seek to expose the battle, expose the battle that we all face in growing. And I mentioned that earlier, isn't it? We've got Satan, we've got with the world, the flesh, the devil, as it were. You've got all these things that will stunt your spiritual growth and we'll speak about them and we'll teach about them because the Bible does. We'll say that you come to church, but it's not like coming to a bowling club. It's coming to a spiritual organization where there's a spiritual enemy of your soul, a Satan who wants to snatch that word away and who wants to keep you from being fruitful. So this is, although it looks like a very ordinary, plain bunch of people, we are people who are a focus of spiritual opposition and spiritual blessing. So there's the, we'll expose these things about the need for prayer. Prayer over the word, prayer in our relationships, prayer in how we deal with one another, because Satan will get, what does he normally do? It's normally in inter-church relationships that he works it's usually people falling out with one another. That's how he's effective in stopping us growing. As, as we gossip about one another or are self-righteous about one another or walk away from one another, that is how he's effective in splitting us uh, from growing and being blessed. So there's the world as well outside and there's the world in our hearts that the word will expose and that we will seek to expose and uh, be accountable to one another and help and encourage and build up one another uh, around that. But also uh, in providing or helping equip us, surely what we seek to do most is, is highlight the beauty of Christ. Highlight the beauty of Christ. That is the warmth of the gospel of healing and of salvation and of growth. Uh, we will speak of the miracle of the new birth. You know, because that seed, isn't it? It goes into the ground and you think it dies. Have you ever put anything into it? We go into the ground and we die. Seed goes into the ground and it's through its death that it grows and is fruitful. Now there's all kinds of spiritual analogies there that I'm not going to go into. But we'll see the transformation of growth and of the gospel. We will see uh, the transformation of Christ. Remember last week when we were speaking, uh, what were we speaking about last week? We were speaking not about glory, uh, not about the gospel, but grace. We were talking about the rays, the sun rays of grace. Do you remember that if you were here? Well, it's the same kind of picture that uh, we'll see uh, the rays of God's grace, Christ's grace, enabling us to grow, enabling us to be blessed by it because it's through him and by him and it's a miracle that we grow at all. It's about being transformed and his Holy Spirit will resource us to grow. This is not a self-help sermon. This is not a do-it-yourself way to grow. This is about depending on Jesus uh, and relying on him for growth, just as uh, the miracle of the seed that grows to produce. So it's Christ who produces it in us. So the church, therefore, at that level, is not consumerist. Uh, we're not to be here to meet every perceived spiritual or social need you might have. We're not here to be an ecclesiastical gold standard that you can measure your, uh, your desire for what kind of church you want to be part of and it'll f uh, either accept or reject it. Because that's not what we are. What we are is a family. That's what we are. We're a family that are sinners who are saved by grace and we're seeking to grow together and we need one another to do that. That's what we are. If you want to be part of that, stay if you don't want to be part of that, then you'll probably not stay too long anyway. But we're a family who have sinners saved by grace. Sometimes to be part of St. Columbus is to be like part of a stony, weedy field. We're not that ploughed. Sometimes uh, it does seem like it's a real ploughing match because we're sinners. That's what we are, isn't it? 
We're sinners, but we're, we believe, saved by grace. But remember, when to, if you've come along today and you're a bit fed up and you feel that the whole Christian life and your involvement in the Christian life and in St. Columbus is a bit like plowing a stony, weedy field, can I say God isn't finished with us yet? And you are part of that, and I am part of that, and we're part of that together. Sometimes we will bear fruit more than other times, and sometimes for us it's a real struggle. But I want to read one more verse which I read in, in going through my own Bible readings yesterday, and I thought it was great, uh, Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man or the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree, similar to the psalm we sung, he'll be like a tree planted by the water uh, that sends out uh, its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. And listen to this. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So even in the times of spiritual drought, even in the dark times, even in the times when you're plowing through the Christian life, he says, you will still bear fruit. And that's the miracle of grace. And that's the miracle of God is that it's not in our own strength. It's not just a formula. It's not ticking some boxes. It's depending on the Lord Jesus Christ so that when you feel dark, when you feel bleak, when it feels difficult, and you're still looking and trusting and confident and relying on the Lord, you will be bearing fruit even though it's a drought. That's brilliant. And it's encouraging. And it's, uh, uh, I hope, uh, enth- it will enthuse us to uh, put our roots deeper into Christ. So the church's job is to provide the right environment. It is to help equip Christians. I'm running out of time. I've got one or two things I, need to, I want to say from the, the passage. The church also is challenging the status quo. I mentioned that before, is that we're not about staying the same. So it's, it's no badge of honor to say, I haven't changed in 35 years as a Christian. It depends what you mean by that. But it's not about stagnancy. It's about health and about fruitfulness. To be unfruitful as a Christian, to bear bad fruit, sinful fruit, is ungodly. And we are here as a people together to challenge one another along that lines. We need, in other words, you need other people's perspective, don't you? To sometimes challenge you. It's very, very difficult just to challenge yourself. Because I'm getting on okay. Things are fine. And well, one or two things that I need to deal with, but maybe some other thing. You need other people. God has ordained it to be that we are a family. Once you are not a people, now you are a people because we need people to challenge us. We need the preaching to challenge us. We need people to say to us that when we're suffering, that we can still bear fruit. We need to to be challenged about bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. And they don't happen in a vacuum. They happen when we interact or otherwise with one another. An evangelism that we are challenging one another as, a, as individuals to say, well, how are you growing? How are you sharing your faith? Who have you spoken to about the gospel? And as a community as a church people, that we challenge the status quo. And, you know, that can be very difficult because uh, gearing for growth as a church is quite a difficult thing, actually, because we don't like change. When there's growth, there's always change. But we don't like change as people. Generally speaking, we like the status quo. We like stability. And, and that will be even reflected 
a little bit, and I don't mind this, this is not a problem, I'm just using it as an illustration, we generally tend to sit in the same place every week. Because we don't like change that much. We like to do and be in the same places. That's absolutely fine. Because we have routines. But spiritually, we need to challenge stagnancy. And we need to recognize when we're growing that there will be change. But what we need to do is recognize that there's unchanging foundations. Sometimes we've mixed that up. So people have said, oh, you can never change anything in the church because then you're changing the gospel. But the gospel's unchanging. We're not saying that. We're saying the foundations will always be the same. The gospel remains the same. The word, the need for Christ, uh, salvation, the Holy Spirit, all these things remain absolutely unchanged. But as we grow, our perspectives and our practical outworking of that will change. Growth brings change. And as a leadership, one of our responsibilities is to manage that change so that people don't feel too unstable and don't think that the ground is coming away from under them. And the only way we can do that is by repeatedly, repeatedly saying the gospel isn't changing, the foundation isn't changing, Jesus isn't changing, the spirit isn't changing. We're keeping the foundations the same, but how we flexibly outwork that and manage that is uh, something that we allow change to reveal itself in as we mature. Because, you know, If in any family, if you all remained in nappies, it would be a strange thing. We grow out of these things. We learn to use a fork and knife. We learn to use the toilet. We learn to go to school. We grow up. We become independent. And we change. And the same is true spiritually. And so the last thing is, very briefly, that we become geared, uh, broadening that as we are seeking to be geared for growth as a church, as a congregation. And we do that by recognizing, and this requires all your patience and time. It it requires recognizing that there are different stages. There are some very young Christians here who need just very simple Bible teaching. There are others who are very mature in the faith and have different needs. There are young, young people who do need a kind of intense involvement at some levels in their lives. There's others who are older are kind of basking in their faith and uh, in what they are able to share. Some need milk, not solid food. And so there's a whole mixture of kind of ages and stages in the congregation. Please be patient with that. Please recognize that. Please share with one another and see the different needs at different stages. That is what will happen if we're a church that's geared for growth. But also, as we're geared for growth, we need to be maturing as a people. So we're looking for And I'm looking for, and you should be looking for, and the leadership are looking for people to become more fruitful, to be maturing in their faith, to be showing more patience, to be more prayerful as time goes on, to be empathetic to the needs and the idiosyncrasies of others, to be more willing to be accountable to other Christians, to be hungrier for the word, to be better at bearing one another's burdens, to be less selfish, to be more compassionate, to be uh, aware more clearly of the enemy of our heart and soul and our own hearts maturing as a people. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking to remain the same. And as we're gearing for growth, we're looking also for more conversion growth. Not just personal growth, not individual growth, but we're looking for people to be saved, 
to come to know Jesus Christ. And uh, we don't see much of that. Maybe we're plowing a lot just now. We're not seeing much fruitfulness in terms of conversions. And we need to think, do we need to change things as a church? Do we need to change our emphasis? Do we need more training on evangelism? Do we need to be more burdened as individuals? Do we need to see that it's not me that will convert people? It's God who will do it, but he'll do it through you, through your contacts and your relationships as you share the word, as you live your life, as you bear fruit for him. Are we doing enough to give and provide opportunities for conversions? Are we praying enough for that as a church? And lastly, and very briefly within this uh, structure, uh, within this last point about um, gearing for growth, as a church, our our biggest structures, uh, for want of a better term, will be that we'll always be geared for growth so that we're going to grow, we hope, by God's grace, to a certain size here. Then we plant another church. We planted a church in, in Cornerstone. We hope that Tom will plant a church uh, in Midlothian. And we hope as we keep growing, we will keep propagating. You know, you know how it is with plants? You can take a plant that's good and solid and you can kind of half it. And you can replant part of it and then it's healthier and it grows and it's got room for growth. Well, that's what we want to do. We want to make room for growth here as people leave. So 30 or so people left for Cornerstone. There was room in the church. More people came in. And so the church had multiplied. And we're geared for growth that way as a church so that we'll multiply again and we'll lose some, lose some more people. No, we'll give some more people to our work there. And then hopefully the church will grow and then we'll see another opportunity that God will provide and we'll plant another church in the city and then we'll plant another church in the city and God will keep on multiplying and growing the work and that's what we're setting out to do. And each of these places we hope will take the same DNA with them about the gospel, about the glory of God, about grace and about growth. And it will multiply that within the city. This city desperately needs Christ. And we can't do it from the center. We can't do it from the Royal Mile. We need to be out among the people, living among them, uh, worshipping among them, a community among them. And we believe the New Testament model for that is planting more churches. And we want you to be part of that. And we want you to pray for that. And we want God to provide the resources for that. And we want God to bless that. And we pray that we'll be led by God, we'll be fine-tuned by God, we'll be radically overturned by God if we're going the wrong way, and that he will teach us about growth. May it be that we are not stagnant. May it be that you're not depending on something that happened 20 years ago in your life, a conversion to Christ, and there's been no change since then. May it be that you're radically bearing fruit, growing, and that your heart is well-prepared as you serve him and as you use the spiritual disciplines he gives to make your heart ready for growth. Let's pray briefly together. Father God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for what we're striving to do, which you have taught us and led us and which often we've been slow to learn and to understand as a leadership and as a people. We thank you that you're patient with us, that you're kind, that you're gentle, that you're forgiving, and that you're gracious. We also know that you're a God who loves us to uh, follow you and serve you, a God who loves obedience, and a God who provides us with the Holy Spirit, God who hates sin and stagnancy and fruitlessness uh, because it is um, not what you have planned and purposed for us.
And uh, if we are failing, then we are uh, listening to our sinful hearts and uh, we are being choked by the world in which we live and we are being blinded by the evil one in whose kingdom we are. So bless us, we pray, and help us to sing your praises uh, as we conclude our worship. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.